Hi, I'm Danny DeQuisto, the pastor of Redemption Church here in Milwaukee. I'm here with our wildly overqualified pastoral assistant, Ron Sanchez, uh, and this is our Mission Talk podcast. Mission Talk is all about helping ordinary Christians think biblically about what God is trying to get done in the world today and the role we get to play as His church in His redemptive work. Last time we talked about what mission is and why we need to even talk about it this week. Rather than jumping right in to discuss what we should do for the sake of mission, we're just going to consider why is the mission even necessary? Uh, What has happened? What went wrong? And what is God sending us into the world to do about it? Danny, I think that's a great question and a big question, and I don't think we're going to get it answered in the next 30 minutes, but I do know we're going to take a great (laughs) shot at it. So why is this mission even necessary? There's so much that the church agrees on, right? That is, God has sent someone in the world to do something, Uh, but why is this mission necessary, and and how is the problem fixed? Yeah, no, it's a great it's a great question, and, and and I think this is part of the problem, right? Anytime you're trying to accomplish a mission, well, you got to know what went wrong, right? You got you got to know what you're trying to do. How to, what does it look like to really move the ball down the field? And so that's why I think it's really helpful to kind of start here. But I, I want to say. Um, just to prepare folks, um, this requires a lot of talking about the Bible, okay? So just if your hope is that we jump right in and tell you what to do tomorrow for this, um, you're going to be a little bit disappointed, and we're going to get there. We want to get there, but um, the, our goal right away is not the how-tos. Um, we, we need to start by considering this problem. If we run ahead too fast to what should we do I think we're really going to get off track pretty quickly, and we don't want that. And so what we want to do here is basically, Ron, is just to start in the beginning, right? We want to look at Genesis 1 to 11, and what does it tell us about the world we live in and how it got to be the way that it is? So that's what I think we should do here. Let's do it. So um, basically in in Genesis 1 uh, and 2, what we see is this story of one God who is the creator of all things. And in Genesis 1, we see this story of him speaking and creating and giving form and order to all things that exist. And part of that story is that he creates the first two humans as male and female in his image. And and we could talk about that for days, but basically in in a short term, what that means here is that we're to reflect his glory. So he's invisible. He's an invisible creating God, and he made us as these visible creatures— to reflect his glory, to show one another and to, to make it evident in the world what God is really like. And so he says to these two people that he's created and basically put at the pinnacle of his creation, he says, be fruitful, multiply, to fill the earth and to subdue it. And he even uses a language, he says, to have dominion over all this stuff that I've just created. And that word dominion is kingdom language. So, I mean, in, in ancient Near East, when this would have been written, that, that word is very much about the domain of a king. It's, it's to rule, it's to reign, it's to have authority over. And so, just to pause here, I think it's really kind of helpful, and I would kind of kick it back to you here with a question, is, you know, if we just take that concept, God created all things, and he made it image bearers, and he told them to be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it, my question to you here is, um, if that were to play itself out to its natural conclusion, what would we have here? What, how would that unfold? 
very nice, very nice place to live (laughs) (laughs) with uh, a lot less problems. Yeah. Well, God created us to be in this harmonious relationship with him. There was no shame. There was no sin. Uh, It was a, the start of a perfect nation, so to speak. Well, explain why you use that word nation. Because it was a gathering of of people. I mean, nation, as we understand it, is this gathering, I mean... I understand America best, but I've done a lot of uh, traveling to other countries. And, sure. uh, so it's just a gathering of a bunch of people. And obviously it was set up yeah. for that to multiply and right. become large. Yeah. So what you're saying here is basically that by nation, you just mean an ordered group of people. Exactly. Right. Who are living together with some sort of communal understanding of their purpose, basically. Right. And, right? and the communal understanding was that, that they were made to be image bearers glorifying him. That's right. Okay, so exactly. And so let's start here, but that term nation becomes important. So I want to say um, what's interesting here is we talk about dominion, which is kingdom, but we actually don't have any idea of how, what these nations are yet in the story. Correct. And so, um, but, but it starts to start, it helps to start here rather with this idea of what I call God's grand vision. Basically, what would have happened if Adam and Eve had never sinned and they just did what God said? What would have happened is they would have had babies who had babies who had babies who had babies, right? These families would be multiplying, they'd be working together, they'd be loving one another, they'd be having marriages, families, they'd be filling the earth with God's glory. No need for clothing stores. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We're good to go. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's an interesting one, maybe for another episode <laughs> someday. Um, but yeah, they, they would have been sort of uninhibited by sin. And what we would have is a, this is the visual I want you to have in your mind is the earth filled with sinless people living together in perfect love and harmony, reflecting the glory of God in everything they do, right? I like it. God's grand vision. So that's what he wanted. And this is going to be helpful as we see what actually happened. Helps to start there. And then obviously we get to this idea of the fall. Okay. And so in Genesis chapter three, instead of doing that, what happened is Adam and Eve chose to rebel. They had an option between two trees, life, live forever and do exactly what I just said, or your own little knowledge of good and evil. And they chose the latter. They wanted their own personal knowledge. They wanted to define good and evil for themselves apart from God. And so what happens, the result of that is death. They've basically cut themselves off from God, who has created them, given them life, and the the result is death. And so we see this pattern of sin and death and sin and death sort of echoing throughout the rest of Genesis 1-11. We see it first in the story of Cain and Abel. So what do we have? We have the first brothers. Okay, so they're multiplying. They're having people, right? Well, what happens? One of them kills the other one. Hmm. So sin leads to death. And then we see this even more so. It gets, it gets so bad and so intense. The whole world is filled with violence, we see, so that God has to send a flood to bring all kinds of death just to get this sin under control, in a sense. But he is so kind and he is so gracious as to preserve just one family through that flood. And so with Cain and Abel and with the flood, what we see is this this consequence of sin and death is unfolding. It's starting to fill the earth. And then this is something really interesting. Right after the story of the flood, we get a genealogy. And in that genealogy, we see basically 
Uh, it's called the table of the nations. Okay, so this here's where nations come mm. into the story. And in this table of the nations, we see some really interesting things. It's just a genealogy, it's a family tree, and it's mentioning all these people who were descended from all these people. But some of the names you'll mention, you'll you'll notice in this, Egypt is one of them. <laughs> uh, Canaan is another one. In other words, what we're seeing is this table of people from whom all the nations are descended, right? And these na- these people who go on to have descendants who grow into nations. Uh, those nations we see will become really prominent s- figures and characters, if you will, in the story. So Egypt goes on to be a nation, and then Israel eventually is sold into slavery in Egypt. And we're supposed to read this in Genesis 10 and think, oh, that's where Egypt came from. They descended from these people on the ark as well, who descended from Adam and Eve in the very beginning. And so you can see how we, we kind of are, we're getting there, right? We're arriving at the world the way that it is. And nations is kind of an important part of that. Yeah. I, th- I think it's important too, as you're, as you're explaining that to just remember that things aren't going well <laughs> as these nations are being developed. It's not yeah. like there's a, a bunch of different people that are doing different things and they're all one happy family. It's, it's a pretty dysfunctional right. but, group of people. But that, that one family doing it the way that it, that was the grand vision, right? right? right you see right. that? And so in, in a sense, yeah, and, and, and this makes perfect sense, uh, why are nations a part of the story? So here you get to chapter 11. What happens in chapter 11, this diverse humanity, uh, which is growing and multiplying after the flood, is sort of united. They all come together for a common purpose uh, in, in chapter 11. But what's really interesting is that common purpose is actually to oppose God. <laughs> and remarkable. so, yeah, exactly. He said in chapter one, uh, be, mul- be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. In other words, get going, get going, subdue this thing. And what they do is they say, rather than being scattered and, and filling the earth, they come together and they try and build a tower up to God. And so I think what we're meant to picture in this is humanity trying to use its creativity and innovation to to ascend up to heaven, right? To, 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 do, to do what did it say? That's what's remarkable to me, yeah. to make a name for themselves. That's right. Absolutely. Which it, just summarizes what people are still trying to do yeah, today. Is to try and elevate themselves up to this higher standard or, or status of, of God. And and so this is what's what's really interesting. And so basically what, what um, one um, Old Testament scholar pointed out and I, I can't quote it, I don't have it in front of me here, is basically in the Old Testament days, um, a nation was understood. That word nation basically means ethnos. And it's understood to be a group of people who share a language. They share a king, usually. They share a, a, a history together, a family heritage. They're sort of a family that's kind of stuck together. But what we see in the, in the Tower of Babel here is that in response to the, hum, the human race trying to ascend up to God, he does something really interesting here. He scatters them, it says, and he confuses their languages. And so this is the Bible's answer for how nations even came to be. Uh, this is how the world came to be the way that it is today. It's filled with different people groups scattered all over the world who can no longer understand one another's language, and they're constantly fighting and vying for more power and more authority. And this is the Bible's answer to how that came to be. It came to be, you can really trace its roots all the way back 
to Adam and Eve, it started when that very first couple um, sinned and chose to try and be their own gods. And now we have a world full of people who we're all trying to do that. We're all trying to define our own knowledge of, of good and evil. So now I may be getting ahead of myself just a little bit, but can you connect us back to why why do we need missions and 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 that just for a moment just connect it back to yeah well i think i think the, the point here is that this is the problem that the mission of the church is meant to address uh, which is the, which is why it's not something that we just do on the side so you're suggesting this is the mission of the yeah, church <laughs> right it's about bringing all of creation back into God's intended purpose for creation. And this is what I mean is if you think this is just about helping people, uh, you're, you're, <laughs> you're going to be off target pretty soon because there's a, there's a huge spiritual story undergirding the work of mission. And, and so if we don't understand the story, we're not going to be able to make sense of what right. we're supposed to be doing. Now, obviously, and I just what I want to connect a couple dots here before we move on to the next question, but basically what I want to do is just show you in the Old Testament... Um, how, where we see this. Okay, so I want to look at Psalm 22 and starting in chapter 27. Here is, um, this is a prayer from the Old Testament nation of Israel, and this is a prayer that they would have prayed in corporate worship, right? So here you have uh, this chosen nation of gods, God's covenant nation, and here's what they're praying amongst themselves in this world full of falling nations, okay? They say, is that chapter 22 or 27? Chapter 22, verse 27. Okay. So Psalm 22, verse 27, it says, All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship before you. For, here's why it says, kingship, which is very similar to dominion, by the way. Kingship belongs to the Lord. And it says, he rules over the nations, the ethnos, all these different people groups <laughs> that are raging on the earth and, and fighting against one another, he rules over them all. Mm. And so mission, um, the mission of the church is to work, be, to be a part of what God is doing to undo all this, mm. is to be a part of, of, of God inserting himself into our story in order that people would remember and turn to him, that these nations would stop raging and that they would really be a part of his kingdom. Uh, and they would submit to his rule and his reign. And then uh, just to kind of connect the dots to see, well, where do we see that in the New Testament? What happens when after Pentecost and the, the apostles start to pursue the Great Commission together, I'm just going to turn there now to Acts 17. Uh, in Acts 17, Paul is preaching, and he's preaching in Greece and he's talking to a bunch of people who are not actually Jews. They don't really know the story of the Old Testament all that well. And so they're basically, he, he's trying to gain a hearing with these people who aren't really invested <laughs> in this whole story of the raging nations who turned from God. They have their own stories they've kind of made up along the way. And so here's what he says in chapter 17, verse 26. He's speaking again to a raging nation. He's speaking to one of these people groups that forgot and turned from the Lord. And he says to them, he, God, 
made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth. He says, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. And so mm. we see after Christ has come and his people go out into the world, they're, they're going out to the world. They're trying to connect these dots. They're going to the raging nations and they're saying, guys, hey, just so you know, you belong to our God. You, you may have forgotten it. You may have turned from that. And, and sin and death and chaos have come as a result. But I'm here not just to persuade you of some new religion from a different region, right? I am here to reunite you with the God who has made you. And, and, and you can trace the roots of that all the way back to Genesis chapter 1. You know what's so interesting about that interaction, that, that this was um, in Athens where the creme de la creme of intellectuals were gathered together. Yeah. And, and, and it says that they gathered together and devoted their time to nothing more than seeking to hear some new thing. Mm. And so Paul comes in and he <laughs> preaches to them yeah. a new thing that really is very, very old. goes w- way yeah, back to right. <laughs> Genesis. Wow. That's, that's incredible. That yeah. is incredible. So what do the nations really need to stop the problem? In other words, so now we have these nations. Mm-hmm. They're, uh, they're committed to, even to the point of infighting and killing one another, yep. to trying to um, make a name for themselves. Yeah. And then in, in comes the gospel. Well, not, not so much. And so this is where I would say, let's back up. Okay. And so really that story, what do the nations really need to stop their raging? That, that question is the story of the Old Testament in large part. So before we get to gospel Jesus, let's start with Old Testament. So what happens in the next chapter of Genesis, chapter 12? It's almost as if God looks down on this world filled with raging nations. And he says, you know what? I want one of those. I, I want a nation for myself. And so here's what he does. He goes and finds Abraham and he says, I will multiply your descendants. I will give you a land and you will be great. I will bless those who bless you. And, and he says, through you, all the families, nations of the earth will be blessed. And so right away, so you see in Genesis 11, the nations are scattered and fill the earth, right? So and in a way, that's kind of God's grand vision, right? They're starting to fill the earth, but it's not going well, right? And so people are multiplying, they're filling the earth, but so is sin, and so is chaos and destruction and death. And then with Adam, he says, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fix all that. I'm sorry, not with Adam. With Abraham, he says, I'm going to fix all that, and somehow I'm going to do it by raising up your descendants as a nation. Hmm. So in many ways, this is the story of the Old Testament. God somehow is going to use this one nation, Israel, to redeem all of the other nations. And then what we see in Israel's history is um, how poorly it goes, right? So in in a way, they're really not all that much better than all these raging nations throughout the rest of the Old Testament. Because they're continuing to make a name for themselves. They want, yeah. A king will be the, the answer to the problem. Well, okay, so let's talk about that. That's a great, great 
point. So actually, when God starts to do this, they multiply, the, the, the people group is growing, they grow in Egypt, but they're kind of in slavery in Egypt. He delivers them out of slavery. He puts them through the wilderness into the promised land, and they start to conquer all these cities. Jericho, they walk around, the walls crumble, and they're like miraculously defeating all these raging nations um, uh, because God is making it so. He is bringing, bringing about his redemption through Israel. But then they get to the promised land, and they start to take over and to establish themselves there. So they start to become a real nation. They start to function as, as sort of their own society. And, and for that period of the Old Testament, they're ruled by what are called judges. And now if you just read the book of Judges, you're going to get a real good picture of how terribly this often went. And so judges were appointed to kind of lead and govern the people. But there's this cycle in the book of Judges. They constantly sin. And then they need a judge. And then the judge comes and tells them they're sinning and how they need to change it. And then they fix it a little bit. And then they sin again. And then they need a new judge. And then they, it's just constantly going around and around. And, and, and then the, and the theme of judges is everyone did what was right in, in their his own, own eyes. eyes. That's right. This is the, just like the rest of the nations right, that have right. forgotten and turned from the Lord, right? And so we see that happening in Israel's history. But what happens toward the end of that, in the, and when we get to the Samuel, is really interesting. Samuel is basically this final judge, if you will. He appoints his sons to be judges, and it, and, and it tells us in Samuel they're terrible leaders, they're corrupt. Didn't go well. No, and so he starts to get old, and what it says in um, 1 Samuel 8 is that Israel kind of came together, and they looked at all these nations around them, and they say, look, they all have kings. And look, if, if we really want to be fruitful, if we really want to try and cultivate the earth, and we want to flourish together, well, maybe that's what we need, is a king. So they ask for this king, and Samuel's kind of upset about this. He's like, guys, I'm, I'm the judge, and this is how it's supposed to go. And here's what it says in 1 Samuel chapter 8, in verse 7. It's, the Lord says this to Samuel. It says, obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you. In other words, give them the king. Uh, for they have not rejected you, Samuel, but they have rejected me from being king over them. And so this, you've got to pause right there. That's one of the most important details here in the Old Testament is this idea that it was actually God who was intended to be king over Israel. He was supposed to rule and reign over them. Um, and so he says, you know, give it to him. Let, him. let him have it. And you could tell us a little bit about how that went. Well, it's just remarkable to me that he even, he even tells Samuel to tell them what's going to happen yeah, as a result. <laughs> and they go, no, we, yeah. we want a king. Right. And that's what he says in, in verse 9 here. He says, obey their voice. He says, only you shall solemnly warn them and show them wow. the ways of the king who shall reign over them. In other words, this is not going to go very well. And you know, it's interesting to me because I think sometimes we can be guilty of reading that. And we go, wow, those guys were such knuckleheads. I just can't believe it. Right. And yet, what do you see in the world today? Yeah. We're doing the we're same thing. We're looking for kings. Thing. We're looking for yeah, a king. You see that in gonna fix the problems. trusting in earthly politics to accomplish crazy. Uh, what they think God's going to do. No doubt. And so, okay, in, in 2 Samuel chapter 7, we just sort of fast forward here. Uh, Saul is the first king, really good looking guy, super strong. They find him, uh, however, a terrible king. <laughs> and it goes really badly. And then David comes. He's the total opposite. He's a little shepherd boy. And everybody's like, how is this guy going to be king, right? And David rises to be really the greatest king in the history of Israel. 
and King David has a prophet come to him. So it's starting to look up there, right? We, we have a king here, and it's actually going pretty well. Maybe this was how it was supposed to go. And, and actually, at the height of it all, a prophet named Nathan comes to David in 2 Samuel chapter 7, and he says this. He prophesies to King David. He says, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. In other words, uh, he's not going to die. And and notice he said here, uh, he will come from your body, David. He's going to be your descendant. And yet this is what he says next. He says, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. You see that? And and so basically it seems like, hey, this king thing, maybe it is going to work out long term, right? And so, uh, but does it, like, how, how does that go after David? Uh, not too good. Right, right. It's turned, yeah, not too good. In fact, it turn, turns out, obviously, that, uh, that as we well know, that David had some issues of his own. Right. And yet he was a man after God's own heart because he realized in his sin that he had sinned really against God and God. And God alone. That's right. Uh, but the Lord, there were consequences to his sin, mm-hmm. and uh, the, the Lord's sword or the Lord's um, displeasure in this situation plagued David the rest the rest of his life. That's right. Family didn't go too well after that. And then, well, and what happened next? Solomon, the richest man, the most prosperous man. He had a hundred or hundreds of wives, and so. In a material sense, he did great, but morally, I think we're supposed to see, yeah, that wasn't going great either. And then as soon as Solomon dies, his sons take over, and it's then where the kingdom is split in two. The northern kingdom is overthrown. The southern kingdom is overthrown. We're fast-forwarding, right, through a lot of the Old Testament. What we see, this is the irony of the Old Testament. This is the tension that we're meant to be left with, that we're supposed to read the Old Testament, have a pit in our stomachs. Well, wait a second. How is God going to use this nation to redeem all the other nations if they're fallen, they're sent into exile, everything's exploded, so they, they don't have a king at all. There doesn't appear to be a solution to the problem right? at that point. Until we come to the New Testament. got to understand, where are the Jewish people in the days of the New Testament? Well, they're 400 years removed from actually even being in power, from having any sort of political military leader. So they're just sitting there, most of them probably thinking like, how's this going to happen? How's this going to go? How's this going to work? Well, and then look what um, the angel says to Mary in, in Luke here. Let me just turn to us there. Luke chapter 1, he says, do not be afraid, Mary. For you have found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Now listen to how the angel describes this child who's coming. He says, he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob, he says, forever and of his kingdom, there will be no end. Wow. 
And so what we see here is all of a sudden after 400 years of silence, Israel has fallen. The Jews have not been in power for many, 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 even a few centuries. Here comes this angel to a, a Jewish woman uh, in the middle of all that in exile. And he says, hey, remember that king from 2 Samuel 7 that Nathan said would come after David? He's coming. God's going to put him in your womb. Hmm. And, and this is the story of Jesus. This is how we get to, to all that to say, what do the nations really need? They need this king. They need a king. Right? They need a king. And so this is where we get to the gospel accounts, to the story of what Jesus has done in his life, his death, his resurrection, in order to conquer the power of sin and death so that he could redeem a new spiritual people, right? And we're going to, my goodness, we're going to have so many episodes on that, right? But I just want us to connect the dots. What the nations really need is a king who can actually show them what it really looks like to have dominion over the earth. And so this is where Jesus came saying, uh, the time is fulfilled. He says, the kingdom of God is at hand. It's close. It's, it's right in front of you almost. He says, repent and believe in the gospel. We're going to talk a lot about the gospel here, but basically that word gospel is just a king's announcement of good news. So in the ancient world, after he wins a battle, a king would send out a sort of a decree that would kind of be like, here we go, guys, some good news from the king. We won the battle. And this is what Jesus is saying, repent and believe in the gospel, the gospel of the kingdom of God. In other words, the joyful message from God that leads a person to salvation. You know, what's really, when, when I, Every time I hear that, I get so excited, you know, 40 years later uh, as a Christian, I still just get so excited. I think of the conversation that Jesus had with, with Pilate and, mm-hmm. and Pilate, who was a representative of the ruling kingdom at the time on earth. That's right. And, and he said, don't you realize that, that I have the power to have you put to death? Yeah. And Jesus said... You have no power yeah. at all that hasn't been granted you by by my father. Totally. If my kingdom were of this world, um, I would have beckoned though all my of servants. my followers Maybe. to to deal with things. But he even says specifically, if if my kingdom were of this world, my my servants would be outside fighting. Basically, right. Right. In other words, if my if I came to make just another one of these raging nations. Oh, then we would have been doing battle right now. Right. But he's saying, that's not why I'm here. Right? So this is the tension that runs throughout all the gospel accounts is everybody thinks kingdom. Okay, well, here we go. We're going back to the Old Testament. We're going to overthrow Rome. We're going to become a kingdom. We're going to do it that way. And Jesus kept constantly Hmm. confusing and confounding them because if there is one message he preached, it's the kingdom. And yet he he keeps talking about this in ways that are so counterintuitive to people and he basically just says every time they try to even make him king at a certain point, he says, no, nah, not doing it that way. And, and so the tension running throughout the gospel is what in the world is this kingdom all about? How is this guy a king? He looks like a poor rabbi. Mm. And, and what we see when we get, of course, to the glorious end of those gospel accounts is that the beauty of King Jesus is that his crown is made of thorns. Mm. The beauty of King Jesus is he did not come to violently uh, stomp on anyone who gets in his way. He came to be stomped on by the raging nations in order to give them victory, Hmm. in order to conquer the sin and death that has led them to rage all along. And this is the beauty, right? This is the wonder of the kingdom of God. 
And it never gets old. I mean, it really never gets old to hear it. Yeah. Danny, why is it so important that we have that foundation? Yeah. Well, here, before we get into the intricacies of the Great Commission. Missions. Yeah, yeah. Well, here's why. If we go to the Great Commission, we always go, okay, well, go there for uh, make disciples of all nations. And we, th- we get to what we do, right? What do we do? What do we do? What do we do? But we miss the fact that before all that, Jesus says the most important part, which is that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And he says, go therefore, right? In other words, because the nations now have a king, you have a mission. Because the nations can stop their raging, you have something to do here. But you see why? If you don't understand why the nations were raging, and if you don't understand the problem that Jesus came to actually resolve here, we're just, we're gonna, we're gonna be off course at some point. And so that's why it's really important. What the nations really need is King Jesus. If we're going to think about some maybe important takeaways here, if we're just trying to reflect to close up here on what do we walk away from this? Uh, how does this help shape what we think about our role in the world? Well, the first thing is it shows us is that Christianity, at least true Christianity, is, is never just a cultural thing or, or a political thing. In some ways, it's, it's really very much designed to be a countercultural thing and, 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 and almost, in a way, an alternative to politics uh, because politics is, is what? It's, it's how humans work together to try and govern the raging nations, right? So, I mean, that's a lost cause in, in a sense, um, and so I want to be careful there because we're told to respect the authorities. And, and so there is a, a, a role and a place of government. And yet government is so hopelessly lost and fallen that we know we can never use those mechanisms to bring about the kingdom of God, at least not in the way Jesus came to do it. And so all that to say, it's important we don't get those wires crossed, that we're just trying to do something cultural that makes sense only in the United States of America. Well, that's not what's going on here. We're wanting to see all the nations remember and turn to the Lord. We're also not trying to do it through political means because that's the whole project that Christ is coming to try and fix and to redeem. Gotcha. So yeah, Ron, what comes to mind for you when it comes to takeaways? What other takeaways do you see here? I think the, one of the biggest takeaways is that it's so much bigger than us Mm -hmm. that just when you look at the, at the grand picture and then where we are and then Jesus being, the king, the answer, that we are the nations. Yeah. And it's much bigger than... When you say we, you mean? I mean beyond that we are the nations, that it's not just about Redemption Church, it's not just about Wisconsin or Milwaukee, it's not just about the U.S., it's not about North America, South... We are the collective body of Bible-believing Christians are the nations. Yeah, well, and, and, and I think in my mind, even when it gets to that idea of cross-cultural missions, at least, it's really tempting to think, oh, all the nations are out there in the world, right. and we got to go get them. But we fail to see, wait a second, we're sitting in a different hemisphere for where all this happened. And, and for me, my heritage goes back to, I'm Italian, so Rome, and uh, yours goes back to another part of the world. And so there's a sense in which, yeah, we are the nations. We have to understand 
that the gospel had to go out from Jerusalem in order to get to us. And there's a long, complicated story of how it did, but it helps to connect the dots is that we don't just go and reach the nations because the gospel lives in the United States of America and all those nations out there. No, it's, it's part of this unfolding story. Uh, all of it is. And we have been redeemed by God from among the raging nations. Yeah. Yeah, there's that natural tendency to have the starting point be with our point of reference. Me, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. and it, I mean, I think that's part of the fallen nature of man. Totally. But I think it, as, as I th- think about what we've talked about today, I realize that that can carry over into how I view missions. Yeah, big time, big time. And, and in, with regards to this, it's just, unless you literally are an ethnic Jew, you are the nations, right? Right. right. <laughs> and and that's that's really a, a light bulb for me. The the last takeaway for me, Ron, that comes to mind is is um, the idea that this gospel, this work that we have to do, it is fundamentally spiritual work in a way, right? It's a spiritual mission, and so I do think we can cross some wires here. We'll we'll talk more about all the different work that takes place in mission. Oftentimes, needs are met, people are cared for, and that very much is is spiritual unto itself. But ultimately. What we're talking about is reuniting this world with its original intended spiritual purpose. Which is, how do we do that? It is by repenting and trusting in Christ so that we can be welcomed into this new spiritual kingdom that doesn't work like all the raging nations of this world, right? Which is the gospel. That's it. It's the power of the gospel. So, so the gospel has to be the forefront at the right. forefront of the mission. That's right. Amen. And we'll talk at great length about that uh, in, in, in later episodes. And, and I think that's just a helpful place to stop here, maybe, is to say, okay, uh, maybe there is more to this than just how many people we can help in Jesus' name, right? Yeah, I think it's so helpful, as many times as I've heard it or taught it or shared it with others, I think it's so helpful to just go back to the beginning Yeah, and to take us all the way to the point of the of the great commission that's right and and uh, it it really guards us from losing track yeah of what the true mission is amen and then so that's where we'll go from here how about that Ron? that sounds so great we started with this question why is the mission necessary and then next what i want to consider i suppose is um okay well what do we do you know so jesus died he rose again what what now? How does this kingdom actually start to spread? Who's responsible for making sure that it does, and how do they go about it? So that'll be next time. That sounds great, because uh, because as is often the case when we get involved, we kind of lose sight of what that mission is. Amen. I look forward to that. Me too. 